Hello and welcome to the podcast. In case it's your first time listening, I'm going to give you a short introduction. I'm Cindy Pierce and over a year ago I started a home Bible study about the women of the Bible. Each week I read a story about one or possibly two women right out of the Bible. We talked about it and I shared some thoughts and then I would recap the story, talk about some of the women's characteristics and how we could apply them to our lives today. I love doing the studies and I was so excited about them that soon other women I knew wanted to participate. Before I knew it, I was doing three different lunch Bible studies at different offices along with the home Bible study. Several of the women's women suggested that I put those lessons in a podcast. So I used the same format here. I'll read the story right out of the Bible. I use New American Standard because that's what I grew up reading. I will interject some thoughts and then at the end I recap with something that we can praise God for out of the story, something that we can thank him for, something that we could confess, and then something to ask him for. So one of the things I love about this process is that God's word says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So I believe that as you listen or study along, that God will speak to your heart. I hope you enjoy listening. This is the sixth study in the series, and it is the story of Rahab. And it's actually one of my very favorite stories about the women in the Bible. So first, I'm going to give you a little bit of background that ties in with the rest of the podcasts on these women. Um, Podcast number five was about Tamar, and Tamar had a son by Judah. And Judah was one of the 12 sons of Israel who became um, the 12 tribes of Israel. So um, another one of those 12 sons was Joseph. And his story is very interesting. He was traded by his brothers as a slave to Egypt, but he ended up being a prince and saving his entire nation. Um, So that story's for a different time. But um, as time went by, he passed away, and the Egyptians became enslaved. Or I'm sorry, the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites, and they became slaves until Moses was raised up, and he eventually, after he grew up and um, went out into the desert and met with God, he actually came back and led the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt, and they then traveled through the wilderness for 40 years. Um, They complained a lot, and they had to grow up a lot, and it took 40 years to make an actual 11-day journey. There's an interesting book called Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Myers, and it's a great book that compares their journey to um, what we have to learn about the battlefield that goes on in our thoughts and thought life and minds. And it's, I recommend the book um, because it compares that time in the Bible um, and makes it very relevant for what we go through in our mind. So, but in the meantime, um, the Israelites have wandered through the wilderness and, um, Now they're all the way across, and they're near the promised land. So in Joshua 1, here we're starting here in Joshua 1, um, the background for this is that Moses has led the children of Israel to the edge of the promised land, and then he died, Moses did, and he left the leadership role to Joshua. And God spoke to Joshua in chapter 1 of the book of Joshua and assured him that he was with him. And he tells him in that chapter to be strong and courageous. So it is now Joshua's job to lead the children of Israel 
into the promised land, but now there's going to be battles. They're going to have to fight for this land. So the story of Rahab actually starts in the book of Joshua, but it starts in Joshua 2. Um, and they have come to the Jordan River, and the first um, city that they're going to meet when they cross over is the city of Jericho. Um, so the story of Rahab starts here because she lives in the city of Jericho. So we're going to start in Joshua 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two, men's, two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So here we have the first mention of Rahab, and she's mentioned with a, with a title. Um, she is apparently a prostitute, and she also runs some type of lodging house. So we don't know from this if she is still in that practice. We don't know if she was um, a temple prostitute in the city because that was common in these um, nations where they worshipped other gods and idols. Um, so we're not sure about the background here, but that is definitely her title. So in verse 2, it says, It was told to the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. So somehow he found out, people went and told him that these um, men had come in, and where they went, and whose house they stayed in. And so um, she, they've come, they've come to her to, to get them. Um, and in verse 4, it says, The woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate, and that means the city gate. So this is really interesting because in verse 4, she has already decided she flat out lied. Um, so the king's men come to her and say, hey, where's the men? She not only just says, I don't know, but she makes up of enough of a story to completely throw them off and get rid of them. She doesn't just say, I didn't see them. I don't know where they are. They've already left. She tells them where she thinks they went when they left and that they need to hurry to catch them. And at this point, the king had no reason to think she was lying or the king's men because it was their city that was at risk. And so they assume that she is, is with them. Um, also notice in verse 5, um, I'm sorry, in verse 6, she took them up to the roof, and the roof, the, these houses were on the, hers especially was on the wall of the city, as we'll find out later, and the roof was flat. Um, and the roofs were flat um, because they were used for a lot of different things. They were used to hang up linens and to prepare food. They were places of recreation. They were used for sleeping at night because a lot of times it was cooler up there than it was down in the, in the rooms. Um, they were used for places of worship. And also, she hid them in stalks of flax. Um, and these were probably, um, flax was like weed. It grew up about three feet high, but it was thick, like a reed. And they would cut these down 
and put them in bundles. And she had bundles of these drying up on the roof. And uh, flax was interesting because in this time period, it was used for two things. It could be used for food and also the fiber in it was used for clothing. It basically made linen. So it had been out to drive. It was a perfect hiding place for them. But it also um, implies something about her again, because first of all, we know she's got a lodging house and we know um, now that she's storing up this flax, whether for food or clothing, that she um, is, is a businesswoman of, of types and she, <laughs> of more than one type. And so she, um, her, she's busy. She's, a, she's um, busy and, and well-known in the city. So we are at verse seven and it says the men pursued them on the road um, this to the Jordan. And as soon as they gone, they shut the gate. So we'd already read that verse eight. Now, before they lay down, she came up to the roof and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So, wow, because she just said, that she had heard how the Lord had dried up the water of the Red Sea. That was 40 years before. Now, we don't know how old she is right here, but we do know that she's heard these stories. Um, and, it, and actually, um, at one time, as I was reading this story about her, I kind of had just imagined her, even as a young girl, maybe her father had a lodging house or whatever, and they heard people come through and tell these stories. And she heard these when she was young. And she heard the next stories about how the Israelites, you know, were, were beating these kings of these nations and taking over their land. And so you're, she heard these stories as she was growing up. They all did. And most of their hearts melted. But something happened in hers because she says at the end of verse 10, the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So something has happened in her, that um, verse about faith cometh by hearing, something happened in her when she heard it. So she said um, that she, in verse 9, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. So between her hearing those things 40 years ago and her knowing that the Lord has given her the land and um, that the Lord your God is God in heaven and on earth, something has happened inside of her heart and spirit. So the stories that they're talking about, of course, in Exodus 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 15 is the song of Moses. And they sing about how God brought them across the, um, the sea and um, destroyed the chariots of Egypt. And then the other two kings that she mentioned, mentions, Shion and Og, are actually recounted in the, story, in the chapter of Numbers 21. Uh, Numbers 21, 21 through 35. Uh, what actually happened, that's an interesting story too, the Israelites were wanting to go through one of the nations and they requested permission and the king said no. And so God went with them and defeated two of the um, foreign kings that were um, not, not helpful to the Israelites. So um, the, these other nations farther out have heard these stories. And as she said, 
They're very fearful about it. So she recounts all that and tells them what she thinks um, about that. And in verse 12, she says, Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So she knows what's coming. She knows that the Lord um, has guided the Israelites and they've wiped out whole cities before them before. And she is, um, she is making a, a swap for their lives. So um, I just, I just love, I love the story because even though she's not from their nation, she heard the stories, wondered all through her life about the God of Israel. Faith had come by hearing, and in James 2.17, it says, Faith without works is dead. So if we think about it, she turned her back on her life, her home, her city, and her king. She made a, she made a decision and said, I'm, I'm protecting these men, and I'm going against the city that I live in at great risk because they could have said, nope, we're not helping you. And by faith, she embraced a new life. She didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know what they were going to offer. She just asked for her life and her family's life. And she had no idea about the people or what was going to happen or the culture or anything else about it. She just asked them to please spare her family. So in verse 14, the men said to her, Our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, so that she was living on the wall. And she said to them, Go to the hill country so that the pursuers will not happen upon you, and hide yourself there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterward, you may go on your way. The men said to her, so the first part, they agreed to save um, her family if she kept quiet about their mission. Then she let them out through the rope on the wall, which that's kind of cool in itself. Like, can you picture like at night she's dropped a rope out the window, like Rapunzel's hair or something, and they climb down the rope down outside the city wall now because remember the gates are all shut. And not only does she just let them out, but she gives them instructions because apparently she knows um, how the men that were looking for them would work and she tells them where to go and hide. So she also helps them once they're over there and knowing how to get back without getting caught. So the men then say to her in verse 17, we shall be free from this oath to you, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down. Gather to yourself into the house, your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. It shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors of your house into the street his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be free. But anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath which you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So they agree to her story. She gives them instructions to get away. They give her instructions and tell her to tie a scarlet cord in the, in the window. So this is such an interesting tie 
because we'll find out in just a minute in the next chapters that Passover's coming. And this scarlet cord hanging in the window is a reminder of Passover because if you remember the story, it was when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt and they were told to go into their houses and put red blood on the doorposts of their houses so that the angel of death would pass over them. So here we are in Jericho, years, years later, um, and they have tied a scarlet cord, told her to tie a scarlet cord in her window so that, again, death should pass over her house. So it's an interesting tie-in, and that, that scarlet cord kind of runs throughout stories in the Bible. Um, but here it is again. And she, notice in verse 21, not only does she say, according to your word, so be it, but as soon as she sent them away, she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Notice she did that immediately. She obeyed immediately. She didn't wait. She didn't forget. She didn't think, oh, I don't know when they're you know, coming. They probably won't come for a few more days. I can wait and do it. She did it right when they told her. So they departed and came to the hill country and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers had sought them all along the road but had not found them. Then the two men returned, came down from the hill country, crossed over, and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they related to him all that had happened. They said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. So they have had a really um, interesting time in Jericho. And they recount the story. And they she has told them that um, she believes the Lord's going to help them win this. This must have been greatly faith boost, boosting both for Joshua and for the spies. Um, and so... I'm going to um, summarize for you Joshua 3 through 6 because we don't have time to read all of those, but I'm going to tell you what happens. In Joshua 3, and take time to read it for yourself because this is actually a fascinating um, story. In chapter 3, um, they cross the Jordan, and this is a huge miracle. We know about the crossing of the Red Sea in the time of Egypt, but this is almost if not as great a miracle. So they had the Ark of the Covenant, and when the priest stepped into the Jordan, literally the waters backed up. And so in 3.15, again, not reading the whole chapter, but in 3.15 it says, And when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priest carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those which were flowing down toward the sea, the salt sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. So this huge river that it literally states overflows its banks during the times of harvest backs up just like the Red Sea did. And they cross over on dry ground. And so that happens in chapter 3. And in chapter 4, Joshua is very um, descriptive about telling each of the 12 men, one man from each tribe, to, to grab a stone from the middle of the Jordan where the priest's feet are standing, carry them with them, and then that night they made a memorial to um, the Lord for getting them through, through the river and for beginning them on this quest. And so in verse 14 of chapter 4, it says, on that day, after they've built the memorial, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, so that they revered him, just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. So this whole act right here has just made him go, whoa, 
God is really with Joshua and he's leading us just as um, Moses did. So um, verse 23 and 24 of chapter 4 are interesting. It says, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So that's the end of chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, it's interesting because he has um, all the people that are with him to be circumcised. Um, they were The Israelites were circumcised when they first came out of Egypt, but now they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And this group of people who are now coming into the promised land had not been. So they celebrated Passover. They had the... Um, they were all circumcised. And then in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 5, it says, On the day after the Passover. So notice that tie-in. They just told her to put the red cord in her window, and now it's the day after the Passover. On that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. So they've crossed over the river into the promised land now. And remember, they had been told before it was a land flowing with milk and honey. So they are eating food from the ground. And in verse 12, it says, The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. So they've come to a place where God had fed them with manna the whole time they were in the wilderness. He had been their provider every day. They had their daily bread every day. And now they've crossed over into the land where he told them, that they would um, be able to have produce from the ground, and they have. So those are just some interesting points from the chapters in between um, Joshua 2 and coming up into Joshua 6. So also in, in this chapter, verse 13 to 15, Joshua has his encounter with one of the angels of the Lord, and so he actually comes face to face with them, and God tells him that he's standing on holy ground. So now we, and that was actually 5, so now we're going into six. Um, bear with me one second here. And Joshua six is actually the story of Jericho and the walls falling down. And this, I'm not going to read this whole one either because you can go back and read it. This is actually the second miracle that just happens in these few chapters. And oh my goodness, this one is... Um, fascinating and if you think about it from the perspective of the different groups of people involved really amazing because God is very specific about when they should march and when they should shout and when the trumpet should go and so one day for six days one time a day for six days in a row they came out and marched around the city quietly and if you can just imagine the people inside the city watching this army of people walk around their city and going what are they doing so every day for six days, they did that. And then on the seventh day, um, they had the trumpets and they all shouted, of course, and of course the walls fall down. And it was just miraculous because those stones and those walls were said to be 30 feet, eight feet high. They weighed about 80 tons. And so just the miracle of the walls coming down um, at God's specific instruction, which they obeyed specifically to every point, and then this miracle happens. But here is an interesting thing. So we, we think about how did the children of Israel feel while they were marching around quietly, and then they'd go back to their camp. 
<clears throat> how did they feel on that seventh day? How did the people inside the city feel? Well, how about this? How did Rahab feel? What was she thinking during this time? So days have gone by and she's been in the city and, you know, is she thinking, what, did I make the right choice? What if the king finds out? Um, will they honor their word? Will they really come and rescue me? And all she could do was wait and trust. And I can't even imagine what those days must have been like for her. I think she did trust them. I think she did. It's all she could do at that point. So um, in chapter six, let's drop down to verse. Let's pick her story up in verse 17, uh, 16. At the seventh time, so the seventh time around the city, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city shall be under the ban. It and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, keep yourselves from the things under the ban, so that you do not covet them, and take some of the things under the ban, and make the camp of Israel accursed, and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they shall go to the treasury of the Lord. So then we jump down to verse 22. And Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out of there as you have sworn to her. So the young men who were the spies went in, brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all she had. They also brought out all of her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. And then they burned the city. Only the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron they brought to put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. However, Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all she had, Joshua spared. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So very interesting that her act of faith and her act of um, hiding them saved her life and notice lived in the midst of Israel um, until this day. So that's the end of her story in Joshua, but let's look at a couple of other places. So, um, because you guys know that I love, if you've listened to any of my podcasts, you know that I love when these stories that we read in a section of the Bible are repeated or referred to in other places. So Rahab is mentioned in other places. So in James 2, 25, and I'm going to back up just a little bit because I mentioned early in her story that faith cometh by hearing and also that um, faith without works is dead. And, and James chapter 2 is the story that is the chapter that says that. So if we look and say verse, um, well, 22, Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. Verse 22, you see that faith without working with his works, and as a result of works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, verse 25, in the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. 
So isn't this interesting that in a New Testament chapter where they refer to Abraham, who was the father of um, the nation of Israel, and the fact that he believed God um, when Isaac for Isaac, and they also refer of all people in the whole Bible, they refer to Rahab, because at that time, she could have just said, yep, here's the man, here you go. And yet she took all that she had heard all of her life about God, and she believed and she had faith. And in that faith, she walked away from her old life and embraced this new life. And she was justified by the fact that she received them and hid them. So I love that it's mentioned there. And now we're going to go to Hebrews 11, which um, is called the faith chapter in the Bible because it goes through verse after verse about by faith, um, what each person did, what Jacob did, what Joseph did, what Moses did. It lists, it lists all the members of the hall of faith, if you will, and goes through these verses. And interestingly enough here, if we go down through, um, start in 29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. So there's that story 40 years ago from this story. By faith, verse 30, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. So again, Rahab, and notice... They say the harlot, her title, that title has stuck with her, not just in the Old Testament, when that every time Joshua referred to her, he referred to her as that. But, and I would hope, I mean, I was kind of like, oh, that'll be great if they just call her Rahab in the New Testament. But they didn't. They, that title stuck with her um, even through that. But let's look at one more place that she's mentioned. She's actually mentioned in Ruth 4 as part of a genealogy um, because she ends up, in spite of her past, in spite of the fact that she's not um, part of the Israelites, um, in fact, the in spite of the fact that she's a harlot, in spite of the fact that she was one of the ones saved from Jericho, if we go to Matthew one, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and in verse five it says. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. You've heard me mention, I think last um, on the last podcast in Tamar, that in this genealogy of 17 verses of men that birthed um, what the, who was whose son and who begat who, that there's four women listed. And Tamar was one of them. And Rahab is the second one. And so in spite of the fact that she... Um, she was known as a harlot in, in Jericho. She is listed in the genealogy of Jesus. And I just, what an awesome story of God using someone who just had a little bit of faith um, to, to step out and to believe him, even though she wasn't from the country, the nation that did believe in him. And so I just, I love her. I love the story. I love what this story means for us. So if we look at what I do at the end of these, we're just going to mention a couple of things um, that, um, that we can remember about it. So if we say uh, what we can praise God for from the story, um, we just want to praise him for giving women key roles in his plan of salvation. So not just Rahab, but the other women listed too. And there's so many, like almost every 
story we read about the women in the Bible. There's just so many examples of when they trust him and step out in faith for him that he can use them. So he's no respecter of persons. And what he did for her and what he did for the other women in the Bible, he will also do for you. And so we, I love that, that he gives us key roles in his plan of salvation, um, even in ministering, witnessing to other people, that he uses us. And that's just such an awesome um, part of being in the family of God that he allows us to do that. And then to thank God that no one, including ourselves, is beyond the reach of grace. So God is not bothered by your past. In fact, he can use all of it, every part of your past, for his glory and for his purposes. In fact, he wants to use every part of your past for his glory and his purposes. So again, here we have Rahab, who was called, literally called the harlot through all of the story in Joshua and even into the New Testament that kept referring to her as that. And yet... Um, he uses her in the genealogy of Jesus to, I think, to give us an example to say, your past does not define you. Your past can be used by God to, to um, for his glory, for his purposes. It, you do not have to be ashamed of it because when you turn your life and your will and your ways over to him, then he can use you. And so, and that's what she did. She walked away from that life. She walked away from her title. She walked away from her home. She walked away from her city and she walked into a new way of life. And I love that picture spiritually of what happens to us when we walk away from our old life and accept Jesus as our savior and walk into that new life. It says old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. And he can literally take all those experiences that we've been through in our life and use those to minister to other people. And I just love that part of God's plan for our life. So if you're in a place where you don't know your purpose and you don't know what God's plan for you is, then please ask him. Just spend some time and say, God, he says that if you seek him, you will find him. So just ask him, say, God, I know that you have a purpose for my life and I want to know what it is. And just begin to seek him and he will show you. He will give you, um, he will open doors for you. He will give you a path and a plan for your life. Um, the next part is to confess. And the thing we can confess out of this story, I think, is our unwillingness to take risks to follow God. I think sometimes, especially, you know, in America where um, there hasn't really been any pressure about being a Christian, that um, we, we don't take risks. We're very comfortable where we are. And she risked pretty much everything to um, do what she did. She, if the king had found out she was lying, um, I'm sure there would have been consequences there. Um, and, and on the other side, she didn't know what she was walking into. So she took, she took a huge risk. And I think sometimes we're a little bit complacent in our walk with God, especially if we've been walking with him for a long time and our lives have gotten kind of stagnant and we're just continuing along the same path. Um, that maybe God would shake us up a little bit and allow us to take some risks to follow him and to do what he's calling us to do. And then lastly, to ask God to just increase our awe of him. So there were so many miracles in this story. Um, the crossing of the Jordan River is just really almost as big a miracle as the Red Sea, if not as big. The um, Jer walls of Jericho falling down is just one of the classic 
stories in the Bible where God just performed an amazing miracle. We don't know how those walls fell, if they went just straight down into the ground and, and what caused it and how did that happen? Was it because they marched around at those times? God just performed an amazing miracle there. And um, there were just so many miracles in this story. And just that we can be in awe of God and awe of the fact that he does still do miracles and awe of the fact that he knows each person by name and by title and yet doesn't hold that against us, that he loves us unconditionally. And he's the only one that loves us unconditionally. So I pray that this story um, blessed you today. I pray that it speaks to your heart. I pray that God speaks to your heart through it. Thank you so much for listening and um, join us again next time for uh, Ruth will be the next one. Thank you so much.